0: Merry Christmas to you, one and all. We love you. Christmas begins with Christ. The last time Christmas fell on Sunday was 2016. It's going to happen in two years from now in 2022, but the last time it happened, a very strange thing happened in America. Believe it or not, several churches canceled their church services. Christmas Sunday, 2016, several churches, big churches, canceled their church services because they did not want to interrupt Christmas. Can you imagine? What a bizarre idea. Not wanting to impose the worship of Jesus on people's festivities. On a day we're supposed to celebrate his birth. You know, it's funny how mixed up it seems like uh, holidays have become over the years. Now, there are many traditions uh, surrounding Christmas around the world. Uh, for example, in the Philippines, they, huge uh, lanterns are made and then they are lit up. In Toronto, Canada, there's fireworks that go off and uh, Japan. Many of you maybe have heard of what happens in Japan that for some reason. I guess it's been about 20 or so years now, but uh, the thing that everybody does in Japan is they get KFC chicken. And uh, they love chicken in Japan on Christmas time. But the fact is, how we observe Christmas honestly is not as important. What kind of traditions our particular family has, whether it be a cultural one or whatever it is, the how is not as important as the why. That is the central issue. Do we do it for the Lord's sake or do we do it for our sake? It's been interesting to me over the years as uh, Christmas has kind of, the actual name even has faded off the scene. It's now Yuletide or it's the holidays. I've noticed even how some people even think, you know, they, they've named it Chris Kringle. I think some people probably think it's Christmas is about Chris Kringle. And most people, of course, don't even get the word Christmas. Maybe how we pronounce it We should pronounce it Christmas, you know, mass meaning a service, and uh, it was uh, founded many years ago just as a a church tradition, and I think it's a beautiful one. The fact is Christmas begins with Christ, and that's more than just a clever quote. That is a true truth from God's word that Christmas ought to be about Christ, They did a poll this past year about Christmas. I was surprised at the poll. In this poll, 37% of adults in the national survey who identified themselves, 88% of who identified themselves as Christian, 88% of them, so pretty much 9 out of 10 were Christians, and yet only 37% said that the birth of Jesus was the most important aspect about Christmas. 24% of the theological liberals said that Christmas was about Christ. Well, that doesn't surprise me. 44% of the respondents said that, and so by and large, the biggest amount, said that family is the most important part about Christmas holiday. In fact, uh, the poll went on to say that, strange enough, Americans are more likely to recall the significance of April 15th than they are to connect Christmas with the birth of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't surprise me, actually. That's a painful day for many people, a blessed day for some. But the fact is, uh, when we preachers and others who've been for years saying, folks, there is a war on Christmas, it is a fact. There is. There is a war on Christmas, I read a pastor's blog not long ago, and it was so uh, insightful that I thought I would use it as a kind of a, a basis for the message. And uh, he told the story out of Luke chapter two, right after the Christmas story, where Mary and Joseph were on their way to Jerusalem. They go there at the feast of the Passover and they left. But when they left, they also left Jesus. They lost Jesus. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. The pastor made the note that often we lose Jesus in the midst of some party or in the midst of our busyness, but we lose Jesus. And so that really is the basis for the message this morning. And the whole thesis of this message is let's not lose Jesus this Christmas. Amen? That's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We do praise you and bless you. And God, you are the reason for the season. I ask that, God, all of our hearts might be now focused on you and you might lift us, challenge us, and we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Christmas as a holiday was not observed during the biblical era. The first church, the first century church did celebrate different religious holidays, but the one that they certainly celebrated was His resurrection, oftentimes uh, around what we uh, are spring now and coinciding with the Passover. But uh, whenever they decided to begin to celebrate the birth of Jesus as a church tradition, I think it was a a great idea. Unfortunately, perhaps, they uh, put it on December 25th, and of course, for over the years, people have said, well, you know, the Christians have hijacked this, uh, this day and all that. But, uh, the truth is that Jesus was very likely not born on December 25th. Certainly nothing wrong with celebrating his birth on the 25th. Just as an interesting side note, I thought, well, you know, I wonder uh, these Bible scholars have ever come up with when they thought the most likely time of his birth was. And I found two different uh, substantiations. It probably was in the fall the first one was that uh, we're told in Scripture that the shepherds were um, in their were out in the field at night with their uh, sheep, and uh, that was something that was done from about uh, middle uh, spring to late fall. But in the dead of the winter, no, they they were all they found shelter because it can be bitter called there in that uh, high desert area of Jerusalem. And so very likely the latest that it could have been was probably uh, October, late October. Another uh, one, and uh, it was a little more complicated, but uh, uh, from the, and I won't try to get into it, but from uh, the, you, you coordinate it with his cousin's birth, which was John the Baptist. And when likely um, Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist would have been become pregnant, and it's a long story. Uh, but uh, because uh, Zacharias was uh, from a certain tribe and uh, he had to be in Jerusalem a certain time, so anyway, I thought. Anyway, come out to the fact that um, probably October sometime actually is his birthday. In fact, those who say uh, they say it's October 21st. Well, I don't know if it was October 21st. I don't know if it was December 25th. The fact is, one thing I do know we celebrate the birth and the life of our Savior into this world. And that's the main thing, and that's the purpose behind Christmas. Now, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to look at a wonderful story, an insightful story, a story that has so many implications. So Luke chapter 1 is the great Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 now, the end part of this, we find his parents going to Jerusalem. And so let's go to verse number 41. Why don't we uh, read it all together uh, just so that we can participate in this message. This is not just a a one-way street here. All right, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So they lost Jesus. They had been in this great Passover celebration, and they left him. And they were, in fact, they forgot him so long, they were a day's journey out when they finally realized Jesus was with them. Now, for some of you, you look at that and say, that's impossible. How could anybody leave their child at church? Well, if you ever lived in a have a large family, or if you've been part of a large family, anyway, you can say it happens. And uh, we've more than once around here, we've had to call up the Ridges or had to call up the Swains or you know some of these others and say, "Uh, "Come and get your child." And uh, but it happens. And the Pollocks, they. but to this day uh, Elizabeth uh, says she was scarred for life when we left her at my brother's house one time she said it wasn't so it, it was bad that you left me what was worse was you didn't come back for so long and uh, but the fact is uh, folks uh, people get left and uh, it it happens now theologically uh, this message i'm going to do what's called spiritualizing that is i'm going to take a story and I'm going to kind of bring up some spiritual insights from it. Uh, maybe a little bit apart from maybe what the main theme is. Uh, maybe I should just say practicalize rather than spiritualize. But in fact, that's exactly what Scripture calls us to do. Uh, Paul said, everything that has been written is for our example. And so I think we can get an example from every story in Scripture. So let's do a little background, and then I'm going to bring out several insights, I think, that will be a help to us. Now, it was a very normal thing for a Jewish family to go to Jerusalem for the yearly Passover. If you go to the book of Exodus or the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find that there are three main feasts every year. First one is the Passover. The second one is the Feast of Pentecost, which would be an May, which is uh, the feast also, by the way, it's a Feast celebrating tithing, or the first fruits. It's a harvest feast. And then there is the feast in the fall known as the Feast of the Tabernacles, where they would commemorate the wanderings in the wilderness. They would live in tents, and God would provide manna and so forth. And so uh, this was the three main feasts. Now, the first feast I mentioned, the Passover, was one day, but it was connected to a seven-day feast called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And so the passover then if you stayed the full time was an eight day spiritual retreat now what is the passover the passover memorialized a day when an event in uh, when they were in egyptian captivity when after nine plagues the 10th plague the one that broke the back of uh, the hold on uh, satan had on uh, egypt and the and the pharaoh was that the angel of death would come and kill the firstborn of every animal and of every family in Egypt. The only way to avoid that death was to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the doorpost of your home. You'd put it on the top, you'd put it on the side, of course, uh, symbolizing a cross, a great uh, picture there. The angel of death would come, see the uh, blood on the door, and would then pass over or pass by and spare the firstborn. And so this Passover was a great feast, and it was a great commemoration of God's great uh, grace towards his people. So the whole family would go together wherever they lived, they, and they came from all over. They lived maybe in northern uh, Israel, southern Israel. Some lived out in other parts of the world. They came from Egypt. They came from the Middle East. They came from uh, India area. Now, uh, Dr. Luke gives us a little insight, the human author of the book of Luke, And uh, he says, notice what he says here. It says, every year this couple went to the Passover. Now, that was not something that everybody did, but this couple did. And it's very insightful in that they were probably uh, 15 or 16 years old when they were married, so they had been doing this for years. They were probably in their late 20s now because Jesus is 12 years old. This was a long trip for them to come all the way from Nazareth. It was a long trip. We're talking uh, 75, 80 miles one day. That's a good three or four days, maybe even five days, 150 miles round trip. That was not an easy trip for a family to make. By this time, Mary and Joseph had other children. Jesus was 12. He was the firstborn. He was the oldest. Of course, Joseph wasn't the natural father. He was the stepfather or um, he might be called a foster father. And, uh, by the way, do, little side note there. Isn't it interesting how that perfect family wasn't what we would call a nuclear family? And we thank God how God can make something beautiful out of anything. And so here they were. And so all the kids would normally be in the front of the caravan. Uh, that's so because they didn't. Their legs weren't as long, and so they had to. They kept them in front so everybody could stay behind them, keep them moving, you know, keep them corralled. The women would then follow the children, uh, make sure they would take care of them, watch over them. And then the dads, the men, would be in the back of the caravan because especially as they would wind their way through that uh, Jordan Valley and up those narrow passages towards Jerusalem, there was lots of highway robbers. And if you went by yourself, it was not an easy thing. When you would come to Jerusalem, there would be thousands of people, tens of thousands of people making their way up that hill to Jerusalem. It must have been an amazing sight. Of course, many of the Psalms, you remember, uh, are. It, there's a little inscription at the beginning of the Psalms, and it'll say this was for the coming uh, at the Passover or coming to the beginning, uh, coming to the temple. And so they'd be singing the Psalms and they would be marching together. It was an amazing, an amazing vent. They would come. Once they got into the city of Jerusalem, they'd have to go to the market, and they'd have to buy sacrifices. They'd have to buy food. They'd have to get ready for being a week, maybe two weeks, uh, away from their own place. They would, of course, buy a sacrifice. It is estimated that during the Passover, during the time of Christ, there was a quarter of a million lambs sacrificed. In fact, so many lambs were sacrificed, that they said that uh, there was a, a river that would come out of the back of the temple. It would go down the side of the hill and flow into the Brook Kidron, and the Brook Kidron would be red with the blood of these lambs. So here is Jesus's father, Joseph. He buys a lamb there at the, uh, at the temple market. Remember now, uh, that can get out of hand. Jesus went in there with a whip and Uh, He uh, took care of the business there because there was lots of extortion going on. But uh, if it all worked well, uh, you could go there, you could buy a lamb, you would then go to the priest. The priest would slay the lamb. He'd take the blood and he would take a hyssop weed and he would sling the blood on the altar. I mean, this was a bloody, bloody mess. I mean, thousands of lambs, I mean, they were just walking in it. It was just an atrocious sight to be sure. They would then take, the the priest would then give the lamb back to the family. The family would take that lamb. They would take it back home, drain the blood from it, then they would cook it, and then they would eat it. While they were eating this this lamb, they would sing songs about the deliverance of God. They would quote the Psalms. They would read parts of the book of Deuteronomy, and they would uh, just uh, uh, relish in all that God had done for them. While this was happening, You must know that Jesus, the Bible says in the preceding passage, that he was growing in stature and in wisdom and in knowledge. At this point, and don't don't ask me to explain it, I don't know that I can. I don't know how God can grow in knowledge, but remember, he is 100% human and 100% God. Maybe the sense is that the realization of his divinity was now full on, full on. As human, he was there watching all this and taking place and being part of the family. As God, he realized that that blood was his. He was that lamb that was being slain. It was an amazing moment for our Savior. And it's so much so that he just stood there. And he now, fully recognizing what God the Father had planned for him, God the Son, he began to interact with the doctors of the law, the the great theologians, the great pastors there in that area, so much so that they were asking him questions. It was an amazing moment. Verse number 46, it says, after three days, they came to the realization that he wasn't there. Well, let me explain that. One day out of Jerusalem, one day back to Jerusalem, and one day trying to find Jesus. There they find him in the temple. Now there's a whole other message we could preach about what Jesus and the doctors of the law were talking about. But here they were. Now his parent. And now I'm gonna I'm gonna turn from the historical side. Let's bring some spiritual lessons to this message. They lost Jesus. His parents lost Jesus. Now, they didn't lose their relationship. Thank God. When they found him, they were still his parents. But they did lose their fellowship. And praise the Lord this morning, I can announce to you that if you are a twice-born child of God, you will never lose your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we might lose uh, our fellowship with him, but we'll never lose our relationship. That's what the book of Psalms 37 says, the steps of a good man. And by the way, we're only good because we're made good by the righteousness of Christ. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. And though he fall, even good men fall, even good ladies fall. Though they fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. This last year, I've been holding God. I was listening to a quartet this morning, and they said, hold on, just hold on to God. Keep on holding on. And uh, I hollered out, I'm thankful that Jesus is holding on to me, because that's what this verse says. If you ever walked along with a toddler, they kind of hold your hand, but if you're going to cross a street, you grab onto their hand, and if they fall, you just hold them up like that, and you make sure you get them across. Has the Father Our Heavenly Father done that for you in 2019. Has He held you up by your hand? I guarantee He has, hasn't He? He has held us up. We may lose our fellowship, but thank God we'll never lose our relationship. Look at verse 48. It says, they sought Him. Sorrowing. They sought Him. Sorrowing. They come there. They they find Jesus in the temple and Mary gives Jesus the what for? They sought him sorrowing. Why were they sorrowing? Because they had lost their fellowship with their son. They were no longer close to him. They were not there with him. And I will say this, that is the most sorrowful place that you'll ever be. The most miserable person in this room is not the unsaved person, doesn't care about God. No, the most miserable person is a Christian who is away from fellowship with God, who's just living for themselves occasionally we'll drive by some place in town. You see some business that's all closed up and dilapidated. It's a sad thing. But there's something even sadder. You drive by some of these towns and you see built church buildings all beat down and closed up. And you think, man, there was a time when that was just on fire for God. And there was a bunch of excited people. And now look at it. Reminds me of some believers who at one time were once beautiful buildings. They were Fellowshipping with God, and yet over the years, something sad has happened. I tell you what, nothing like a backsliding to make sure that uh, our hearts are so far from God. Now, who, I want you to notice three questions this morning, let's answer them. Who lost Jesus? Well, first of all, it was those we least expect. Now, who would have expected that the mother and the father of Jesus would have uh, lost their son? Verse 43. And when they had fulfilled the days, they returned, and Joseph and his mother knew it not. They did not know, his own mom and dad, and yet here we are, 2,000 years removed from this story and from this time, and there are people in this room, I might imagine, that we might least imagine, oh, you still have your relationship, thank God, but the fellowship, what happened to it? You may be a faithful attender. You might be someone who serves the Lord in the church somewhere. You might even be behind a pulpit. and Yet we find ourselves without that fellowship with the Lord. We find in Scripture many great people lost their fellowship. Great Noah did. Courageous David did. Mighty Moses did. Samson, Peter, all of them. Good men. Good men. And yet they lost their fellowship fellowship with the Lord, because it's easy if we're not vigilant. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Oswald Chambers, the great uh, devotional theologian said, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. I love it. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. Those who think they don't really have any problem with this. Be careful. That's the very area the devil loves to attack. Because if he can attack you in your strength and get you, you'll be discouraged. You'll be despondent. You'll say, man, I might have imagined me falling in my weakness, but when I fall in my strength, man, I must be a bad person. Look at verse 43. It says, And when they had fulfilled the days, they returned. The Holy Spirit here gives us a wonderful uh, indication of the deep faith of Joseph and Mary. They fulfilled the days. That was actually not common. Most people didn't do the whole eight-day Passover. Most people would come. They had businesses back home. They had things they had to get done. And for some, frankly, the Passover had become something routine. And so they would, it would take them maybe three days. One day there, one day at the Passover, one day back home. They could set aside three days, be back to their businesses. But it says that Mary and Joseph weren't like that. They not only went to the Passover, they went to the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. They did the full eight days. They fulfilled the days as they returned. We're not talking about people who were just nominal. These were people who were on fire for God, and yet somehow in the midst of it, they lost Jesus You know, it's possible to be faithful in church and lose your relationship with Jesus. It's possible to be a Bible reader and yet lose your relationship with the one who wrote the Bible. It's possible to come to church and to not have that sweet fellowship with Jesus. And the worship time is almost a bother to you. I remember one man telling me, he said, you know, I I wouldn't mind coming to church really. But he said, I just can't do all that music. I don't just know. He said I just don't I just don't get into that. And I thought you know what? And I know some men especially like that. They just not uh, singing types. But I will tell you, you ought to be the type that loves Jesus. And if it comes with singing, so be it. That's not your cup of tea. Just still love Him anyway. And while we're singing, just worship Him. Say Lord, I love You and I praise You. And and when the preaching, that's your thing. Amen. <laughs> then love Jesus during the preaching. But the fact is, let's not lose our fellowship with Jesus. Amen. Number two, where can we lose Jesus? Who lost Jesus? Those we least expect. Where can we lose Jesus? In the midst of a religious ceremony. Verse 41, it was in the Passover. <laughs> they lost Jesus at the Passover. Now I'm not talking about losing Jesus at, up here at Jackson Casino. I'm not talking about losing Jesus at the nightclub. I'm not talking about losing Jesus by attending a godless liberal college. I'm not talking about losing Jesus while you're reading that left-wing publication Christianity Today, or like somebody said, uh, Christianity Yesterday. I like it. It was. I mean, they used to be Christian, but come on now. We lose Jesus not in those places. The fact is they lost Jesus at the Passover. It's Christmas, and yet for some, it's present or it's family or it's party But Christmas, no. In fact, why are we not even call it Christmas? There's a person that seems to be getting on everybody's mind today, and more so than Jesus, and less and less in the public arena, certainly in our secularized schools anymore, you won't even find Jesus. But there is somebody else who has replaced Jesus. It's Santa Claus. You know old Santa Claus. There's even a theological hymn dedicated to him. You all know the verses of this hymn. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why Jesus. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus. uh, Sinterklaas, I think the Dutch... uh, It's an old Dutch fairy tale from the old world, Europe. The fact is, uh, whoever he was, whatever he did, and I've read all kinds of things about Santa Claus when I was reading this, but the fact is, it's just an old world fairy tale and it actually has some nice things to it. The folks is, have you ever thought about how eerily similar Santa Claus is to God? For example, he's not limited by the physical laws of this world. He can fly around the entire planet in a single night. He's surrounded by other heavenly beings. He's also omnipresent. He sees everybody when they're sleeping. He's also omniscient. He knows when you've been bad, and he knows when you've been good. And actually, everybody's rewarded, even the bad ones. In Santa Claus' story, it's a kind of a wink of the eye. He He doesn't give you coal. He makes sure that everybody gets a little present. And so theologically, he's a universalist. Everybody gets to go to heaven. Everybody gets a gift. The fact is, Santa Claus, I'm not trying to get rid of Santa Claus. I, i Someone said the other day, you got that nice Santa Claus look there. Just get your beard a little bit more there. You know what? So what? Amen. I'm not not fighting against Santa Claus. What I am saying is, let's keep him where he belongs. Just a fairy tale. Jesus is the reason for the season. The holiest place this morning is not in the Vatican or not in Notre Dame or not Mecca, not even Jerusalem. The holiest place today is a heart surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that's what, the, that's what the great prophet said, Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, ye shall seek me and you will find me and you will search for me with all your heart. It's a heart thing. Let's not lose Jesus in the midst of our serving. You know, every year, I've already read it happen this year, somebody steals Jesus from the scene at some church. It always happens. Every year I read about it. And uh, it's tragic. It's crazy. It's just not why people do such a thing. But honestly, I think it's sadly poignant because there's so many today. Jesus is gone from the nativity. It's all about the, the sheep. It's all about the donkeys. It's all about Mary and Joseph. And Jesus is gone. Who lost Jesus? Those we least expect. Where can we lose Jesus? In the midst of a religious ceremony. And the final question this morning is this. How may we lose Jesus? And that is when we just assume he's with us. When we just assume we're okay. Luke chapter 2 and verse 44. But they supposing him to have been in the company. It was not uncommon that, as it says, the kinsfolk and the acquaintances would take care of Jesus. Mary probably thought he's 12. He's probably back with Joseph. Joseph thought he's still a boy. He's probably up with Mary. And yet they supposed, and they got farther away from Jesus one step at a time until all of a sudden when they realized they were 25 miles from Jesus, 25 miles away, supposing the whole time that he was with them. And I will tell you folks, it is easier than you might realize to get away from Jesus Christ. It's called the slow fade. And it's very easy at this time of the year to get so into this or to that we forget the reason. I mean, there some folks might have even been a little irritated that we had a big Christmas offering. When I, all these presents I gotta buy and all this, it's like, folks, we need to we need to take inventory and kind of get back to what's the real thing. Years ago, I, one of the jobs I had for a few uh, weeks or months uh, when I was first starting uh, in Bible college was I was a, uh, the key carrier, uh, they called it, basically an assistant manager. I just got to close up the building. That's, you got to carry the keys. And one of the things we had to do at the end of the year was inventory, that's not as big a deal now with all electronic things, and they push one button and know how much they have of anything. But back then, you had to count it by hand. How many packages of napkins? How many packages of plates? And we had to do inventory. It was a terrible. It was my worst nightmare. I, I really didn't care whether there was 10 packages or nine packages. I mean, it did not make any difference to me at all, other than just, let's just write something down there so we can move on here. But it didn't make sense for me. Uh, you know, the package cost uh, Thirty-two cents. They were, and it took me all those hours to do that. They could have, and all the hours they were paying me. It's like this doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, um, but you know what? The folks is, we need to take spiritual inventory. We need to start counting. You know what? I've kind of, I've kind of backed off in my commitment to the Lord. I've kind of backed off in my service to the Lord. Notice what it says in verse forty-five, verse forty-six. It says they. When they found Him not, they turned back again. I'm, all, I'm glad that we can always turn back again to Jerusalem. Turn back again to Jerusalem. And where'd they find Him? They found Him in the temple. And I will tell you, you'll find Jesus in the temple. Now, here you are. It's Christmas Sunday. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm not going to give you grief because you haven't been here the other times. But I would say this. Friend, you can, you can do this in this new year. You can be here and you can make this a part of your life. Casual seeking rarely finds Jesus. You've got, to be, uh, you've got to be deliberate about it. You've got to be desperate. Psalm 34 and verse 18, the Lord is nine to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The fact is, if Jesus Christ is not real to you as he once was, if you do not have a conscious awareness of his presence, then go back to where you first felt Him. Maybe in 2019, you've loved your iPhone more than you've loved your Bible. Maybe you've loved social media more than fellowship with God's people. Maybe you've gotten a bitterness or a grudge in your heart, or there's an impure infection. affection. fact is, we need to go back to Jesus Christ. You know, every year about this time, uh, there's always... Different things that happen in the life of the church and different ha- things that happen in the life of a country, in the life of the people. But how tragic it would be for this Christmas, we come to the end of the year and we look back and say, God's been so good to me and yet I'm not even conscious of it. I don't even realize how good he's been to me. There's an old song that we have sung over the years. It says this, I've wandered far away from God and now, Lord, I'm coming home. A few years ago, uh, we had a a beautiful Christmas concert. Uh, We called it Snoopy Christmas Concert or Charlie Brown Christmas Concert or something like that, one of the two. But we very clearly advertised that it was a a musical concert, but it was all about Christmas. And we had uh, uh, Brother Martinez uh, come and uh, play uh, jazz piano. It was excellent. When we were done uh, the next day, I got an email. And this... uh, man took me to task, took the church to task. And he said, uh, can't we possibly ever go without being preached to about Jesus Christ? And uh, I looked at that and I thought to myself, okay, first of all, we have this man who is a a world-renowned pianist. They get a free concert. We advertise very clearly it's about Christ they come, and then they're upset because we preach about Christ. The fact is, folks, that's Christmas right there. I mean, that's the, that's the worldly mindset. And uh, I wrote him back a very loving email. I really did. And uh, I, uh, I uh, chastised him. I don't know if he figured it out or not. But uh, um, the truth is, folks, uh, what, uh, what, um, what have we come to in America when we lose Jesus? We've lost him those closest to him, we sometimes lose him. We lose him in a service or we lose him in our busyness or we lose him because we just suppose he's always going to be there. And somehow we walk away step by step. I once read an old story with this all closed this morning. I don't really know where it came from, but it's a, it's a powerful story. It's the story of a royal who had a princess that he loved so very, very much. Tragically, however, before he could marry her, the princess died. He was heartbroken, but determined he would build in honor of the princess, the most glorious glorious burial palace that's ever been built. He conscripted the architects of his kingdom. They drew plans It had to be magnificent, no expense spared, because this was his princess. He loved her so much. Every day he would watch the building. The spires would go up, the marble would gleam, the gold overlay would flash in the sun. And as it neared completion, up in one of the high towers, in this great palatial sarcophagus, everything was perfect, except for one thing it seemed like it just didn't fit. Somehow it was a mar on the whole thing. And so the king called the workman and said, hey, hey, this just doesn't fit and you must take it away. And the workman looked at him and said, are you sure? You want this gone? He said, yes, please. It just doesn't seem to fit this palace anymore. And so the workman dutifully went over and picked up and removed the tomb of the princess. He made it for her and then removed her body. And folks, here we are, 2019. And in America so often, we've done the very thing. We've built this amazing palace called the Holiday Celebrations. And then in the midst of it, we say, Jesus, you just don't seem to fit anymore. You're bothering our celebrations, and don't mention Jesus. Friends, let's not lose Jesus this Christmas. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.